Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. You're generous. Uh, there were two great preachers in London in those days, and they tell me, I can't remember who the other one was, but people would go to one service on Sunday morning, and they would leave and say to one another, what a great sermon. And then they would go to the other church Sunday night, and when they left, they would say to one another, what a great Savior. I'm more concerned about the latter than I am the former. Uh, we've had a lot of great sermons, but I want to tell you, we have a great Savior. And we are humbled with the opportunity to proclaim Jesus to this present generation. That's what it's all about. When they see Jesus, not me, I don't change anybody, but He changes everyone that He touches. And that's what I'm praying for. Well, we had a, a good time this morning, and we talked about ministry in the 21st century, raising the dead, and, uh, and enjoyed that. And Jim and Peggy, what a joy to be with them and to share in these services. And, and they've been talking to you about working not for God, but with God. And if you want another chapter to study concerning that, then go to Acts chapter 16 when you get home. And remember that Paul and Silas and Timothy were on their second missionary trip. And they decided they would go to one part of the nation, and the Holy Spirit said no. And they essayed to go to another, and the Holy Spirit forbade them. And they came down to Troas. And that night, Paul received a vision, a call from God. And he said, he saw a man saying, come on over into Macedonia and, and, and help us. And Luke said, we assuredly gathered that the Holy Spirit was calling us also. To go into Macedonia. And immediately we loosed from Troas and came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis and then to Philippi. And you know what happened at Philippi. But what I want you to notice is that word straight course in the Greek says, We sailed before the wind. And in one day we came from Troas to Neapolis. You read later in Acts when they made the reverse trip and it took them five days because there was opposition and the wind was not correct. But I want to tell you, when you get called of God and you have a passion <laughs> to fulfill that call and you start working with God and not for God, then you sail before the pneuma. You sail with the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything that's in opposition is over. And what it took you five days to do, it only takes God one day to do. Amen? And you need to study that and let that sink into your heart so that you can work not for God but with God. Tonight I want to talk to you about unfulfilled promises and unfinished projects. Unfulfilled promises and unfinished projects are simply, I would say, restoring the restorers. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29 and a very familiar portion of Scripture that we take out of context. Verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. 
Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place which I caused you to be carried away captive. In the prophecy of Haggai chapter 2, and verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when, we came, when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you. Do not be afraid. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desired things of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the word in the Hebrew for resist is to accuse and slander him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Chapter 4. Verse 6, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. We live in a postmodern post-Christian society. I don't have time to bring you the statistics. I didn't have to use them this morning. But simply by watching television, 
opening your eyes to social media, seeing what's going on around us in this world, we know that we live in a postmodern, post-Christian society. And when you come to the Word of God, the Scripture, it, it substantiates that. For Jesus let us know that we were living in the last days, that we are the generation upon whom the ends of the world has now come, that evil men and deceivers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. And because of that, he said that we as his followers and his church will face two things. First of all, we can expect days of adversity. We can expect opposition, tribulation, persecution. And we dealt with that this morning. For the remedy of the days of adversity is the fact that we know who he is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And that he is the resurrection and the life. And the same spirit that dwells in, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you so that he has imparted unto you to participate in his ministry. And the ministry in the 21st century in the middle of days of adversity is that we are not discouraged because we know that we have the power of resurrection within us and we are to go out and to raise the dead. And to hear the rest of that, you'll have to buy the tape back there. But he also said there was a second thing that we could expect. That in this generation, not only would there be days of adversity, but there would come the direct attack of the devil. And it might look something about like this. Amen. You have a great name. He must kill your name before he kills you. gladiator, the gladiator who defied an emperor, striking story, now that people want to know how the story ends, only a famous death will do, and what could be more glorious than to challenge the emperor himself in the great arena? You would fight me. Why not? Do you think I'm afraid? I think you've been afraid all your life. Unlike Maximus the Invincible, who knows no fear. <laughs> Are you a man who once said death smiles at us all? All a man can do is smile back. I wonder. Did your friend smart his own death? You must know. He was your father. You loved my father, I know. But so did I. That makes us brothers, doesn't it? Smile for me now, brother. <coughs> 
Strap on his armor. Conceal the wound. We have a real enemy. We have a real adversary. We used to believe that. The majority of the evangelical community no longer believes in a real devil. Now, most of you are aware of that scene. And it is a striking story. It is how there is a usurper, the false emperor who killed his own father in order to gain the position. And yet there is the hero. There is Maximus, who started as a general and became a slave and then rose to the status of a gladiator. And the purpose of his existence is to defeat the usurper and to restore the kingdom of Rome to the right emperor. And that is our story. We were created in the image of God. We were stamped with the image of the divine. And we fell into sin and became a slave. But he has redeemed us by his own blood. And he has brought us into the kingdom of God. And our purpose is we are now his gladiators. And we are to restore the kingdom from the usurper of the devil and bring it back to the right emperor. And the result of living in this generation is that we have this real enemy who is going to directly attack us. And guess what? Our enemy doesn't play fair. He's like that clip. He uses every trick, backstabbing, whatever he can do in order to defeat us and to keep us from accomplishing our purpose. Amen. He said, Jesus said, you have this real enemy. Your adversary, the devil, is described. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, ready to pounce and to eat you up. And if he can't destroy you like a roaring lion, then he transforms himself into an angel of light in order that he might deceive you. So we are not unaware of the wiles and the tricks of the enemy. And he went on to say, if the devil transforms himself into an angel of light, then his ministers transform themselves into ministers of so-called righteousness in order not only to devour you, and, but to deceive you. In fact, when Jesus described the devil in John chapter 10, he said he is a thief. And he has come to steal. And that word steal means he's come to pick your pocket. To snatch away from you everything that is valuable. To snatch away everything that you have. Your spiritual experience. Your spiritual expectation. Your devotion. Your dedication. Your commitment. Your faith. Your joy. Your love. The devil has come to try to snatch away and pick your pocket and steal everything that you have. Because what did Jesus say to Peter? He has come that he might sift you as he would the wheat. And to make us a sieve, that's what he said, he might sieve you. You take a garment and you knock a hole in it. And then you pour the wheat and the chaff into the garment. And the wheat dribbles out one grain at a time. And what you're left with is a whole garment full of the residue and the chaff. God doesn't judge that way. God takes a winnowing fork and he takes the wheat and the chaff and throws it into the wind. And the wind blows the chaff away and he reserves the grain. But not the devil. He's come to have you. 
He wants to defeat you. He wants to stab you in the back. He wants to knock a hole in your faith, knock a hole in the experience and the dedication and the destiny and the purpose of God so that all you're left with is destruction and denial and defeat. Hey, hey, well, okay. And he said not only did he come to steal, but he came to kill. And the word kill there is the word they used in slaying the sacrificial offerings. So that what he says is, after he's stolen everything from you, he wants you to sacrifice what you have left for some short-term gain. And then he wants to destroy you. And that means to sabotage. And it doesn't mean the loss of being. It means the loss of well-being. So that he's picked your pocket. He's stolen and snatched away everything that's valuable. You've sacrificed everything you have left for an immediate short-term gain and you're left with the loss of being. You're left defeated and discouraged and delayed and turned around from your purpose and your destiny. You find yourself in a place of hopelessness with your promises unfulfilled and your projects unfinished. You know how he works from the Old Testament. He either tries to keep you out of your inheritance. He either tries to keep you in the wilderness of sin, behind the flooded waters of the Jordan, kept out by the walled cities of Jericho, so that you can't enter into the fullness of what God's called you to do, so you can't fulfill the promise, so that you can't have the finished project. And if by some chance you manage to slip across the water and get into the fullness of your inheritance, he attacks like this. He comes to keep you so occupied with battles, with the wiles of the Gibeonites, with the wicked allegiance of five Canaanite kings. If he can't keep you out, he'll keep you so occupied that you can't enjoy. You got to help me tonight. Because that's the way he fights. And you, you know the weapons he uses. He uses CIA. And that's not central intelligence. He uses condemnation. He tries to put you back under the guilt and the weight. And as Peggy talked to us about the shame, the footprint of where sin had trampled over your life, he tries to bring you under a load of guilt and condemnation. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) Look, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Bible said that it is conviction. Amen. It is godly sorrow that works repentance unto salvation that needs not to be repented of. But the sorrow of this world brings death. And God's godly sorrow and conviction leads you to something. It leads you to an act of repentance that brings salvation and delivers you from the shame and the reproach and the guilt of your past life. But condemnation from the devil just weights you down. With sorrow. And if he can't destroy you with condemnation, then he tries to use intimidation. He tries to make you afraid, backward, cowardly, filled with timidity, afraid. Oh, amen. He he tries to immobilize you with that spirit of fear, dread, and terror. But God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love. And it is love that casts out fear. What you love, you're not afraid of. 
And he's not only giving you the spirit of fear, but of power. What you have power over, you're not afraid over. And he's given you power over the devil to tread upon lions and young lions and dragons. And he gives you a sound mind, which means knowledge. And if you have knowledge, if you know something, it's the unknown that you're afraid of. And so the devil tries to bring us back under intimidation and fear. But God's filled you with the spirit of love and of power. The power of the resurrection and the knowledge of who he is so that you're no longer afraid. And when condemnation and intimidation doesn't work, he brings accusation. He is the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus said he was a liar and the father of a lie. And he constantly stands to bring accusation against you. And Jesus is not just telling us that out of some book that he read. But it was a living experience in his own life. For all you have to do is read Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And Jesus has gone down to the, to the waters uh, of the Jordan. And there John has baptized him to, to fulfill all the righteousness. He's presented himself as the obedient servant of God. He's become the sinning one like us so that he can do everything that God's told him to do. And straightway when he comes up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord like a dove descends upon him without measure. Oh, you need to study that because he came like a dove upon Jesus because he is sinless and spotless and guileless. He comes like fire on us because we need some stuff burned up. But not only did the Spirit of the Lord come upon him, all of a sudden, do you remember what happened? The voice of his Father echoes from heaven and it echoes up and down that Jordanian riverbank. And the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And being filled with the Spirit immediately, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't have time, but if you really get full of the Holy Ghost and the purpose and the power of God, you should expect the devil to come after you. He did Jesus And immediately Jesus finds himself after 40 days of prayer and fasting in a direct conflict with the devil. And you know the first thing the devil attacks? His worth. You know what the devil said? If you be the Son of God. If you be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. If you be the Son of God, then all you have to do is compromise and bow down and give me lip service and I'll give all these kings. What did the Father just affirm? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the first place the devil attacked was at the worth at the identity, if he questioned the affirmation of the Father. That's the way he comes against you. Because he knows if he can destroy your worth, he will stop your work. And so he didn't just stop at the worth, he turned against the work of Jesus. And he said, now now you know what's happening in, in the wilderness. You know that Jesus is undoing everything that he did. He's tempted in the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And where he failed, he over, you know, you know that. But there's a lot more going on here. Because the devil has come to attack him at the will of God. 
If you are in the will of God, then why are you hungry? Just turn these stones into bread. If you're in the will of God, you shouldn't have, um, you, you shouldn't have any problems or any suffering. He not only attacked him at the will of God, but he attacked him at, at, at the word of God. The word of God says, the devil knows the word, you know. If you cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, God gives his angels over you and they will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. He attacked him at the will of God and the word of God and he attacked him at worship. He said, if you will bow down and worship me, and he used the word lip service, if you will compromise, if you will bow down and surrender your praise to the devil, if you will compromise with sin, if you will give me the service of your lips, I will give all these kingdoms unto you. They're mine, you know. Oh, you're looking at me. Well, please stay with me for just. And Jesus defeated him the same way we defeat the devil. Three times he says in the power of the Spirit, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Father. Life is more than meat and drink in the natural. It's joy and righteousness and peace in the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. If he doesn't give you a word to do it, you better stay on the pinnacle of the temple. If he doesn't tell you to jump, you better hold on to the rail. Because if you jump without a word from God, that's not faith, that's presumption. You've got to, faith is an obedient response to a word from God. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan, because the Lord thy God shalt thou worship. And he didn't use lip service. He said, the Lord thy God shall you bow before kissingly. Shall you surrender your life? Because worship is not lip service, it is life service. The Lord thy God shalt thou serve. Worship and him only shall you serve. What he's doing is coming against Jesus at his worth and his You know what he was telling him? There's an easier way than the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. If you'll preach a gospel of materialism, people will follow you. If you'll feed people's bellies, if you'll supply their material needs, if you only talk about prosperity, if you only fill them up with material things, you don't have to go to the cross. They'll follow you. Did you know he was right? Because Jesus fed the multitude and they came and were going to make him king. Not because Jesus said you wanted to follow him, but because your belly's full. He said... Okay, if that won't work, there's an easier way. You do not have to go to the cross because if you will preach a gospel of sensationalism, if you'll just cast yourself down from the temple and show yourself strong and mighty and perform signs and And what that generation said to him, if we could just see a sign from heaven. Jesus said, you don't get any sign except Jonah who was in the belly of the well three days and three nights and then was resurrected. The only sign you're going to get. Oh, oh hallelujah. And it's right. The only problem with preaching a gospel is sensationalism. When you have one sensational thing, then to keep the crowds, you've got to have something more sensational. And then you've got to have something more sensational than that. Something that titillates and... I'm Okay. I don't want sensationalism. You can have all of it you want. I want supernaturalism. 
I want God to break in from heaven. I want God to step down from glory and perform works that will confirm the word. And he said, if you preach a gospel of compromise, if you'll just give in to evil, the world will follow you. And Jesus said, you can't destroy me and who I am. The Father has already said, I am His beloved Son, and that is not going to cause the work to stop, that all the promises are going to be fulfilled, and all the projects are going to be finished. And the best example is this old portion, Old Testament portion that I read to you. Because one-fourth of the Old Testament deals with one event in its climax. And that is the children of Israel, Judah and Jerusalem, going into Babylonian captivity for 70 long years because of their breaking of the covenant of God and the promises of God to bring them out after 70 years and to bring them back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple and to restore their worship and to deliver them from that bondage. You remember that story. You have to read it over uh, 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 several portions of scriptures and prophecies. And you remember what happened. How that Judah watched the destruction of the northern ten tribes. So that because of their idolatry and iniquity and breaking the covenant of God by 730 B.C. They had been overtaken by the Syrians and dispersed throughout the land. Never to be brought back together again. You would think that seeing that you would change. But in spite of watching that, and in spite of seeing that transpiring before their own eyes, they refused to listen to the voice of their own preachers and prophets, and they continued in their idolatry and their compromised lifestyle, breaking the commandment of God until ultimately said judgment. God said judgment is, is determined upon you, and I'm going to take you out of Jerusalem, and I'm going to bring you down into Babylon, and you will be there for 70 long years. And it happened just like God said it would. In 700 or 606 B.C. was the first time the first group left Jerusalem in captivity. And ultimately by 586 B.C. all, almost everyone in Jerusalem has been taken in bondage in captivity to Babylon. And the temple of God, the walls are not only broken down, but the temple of God is in ruins. And that glorious, opulent temple of Solomon with all of its wealth, $1.3 billion, some people estimate, is lying in ruins. All the gold and the silver has been stripped and the stones have been broken apart. And on the top of Mount Zion where God said, that's where I will dwell and that's where my Shekinah will be, is empty and broken and lying in ruin and devastation. And the stones are scattered and there's heaps and mountains of rubble everywhere. And God's people are in bondage. But God never forgets his people. And he never forgets his agreement and his covenant. And the Lord said, I tell you what I'm going to do. After 70 years is fulfilled, I will visit you. And I will bring you up out of the land of your bondage. Because I know the thoughts that I'm thinking towards you, saith God. And they're not thoughts of evil and destruction, but they're off their thoughts of good and deliverance. And I have towards you a hope and an end and a fulfillment and a completion. And if you'll seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. And I will bring you up out of your bondage. And 50 years later, God raised up through the prophetic word of Isaiah, a heathen king by the name of Cyrus. 
and Isaiah had named him a hundred years or more before he was born. I guess, I guess Cyrus was a closet Pentecostal. I don't know. But he comes out of the closet and he makes a decree. That, that the children of Israel can leave Babylon and they can go back to Jerusalem and I will give you the vessels of the temple that we took and I will give you gold and silver and supplies and all of your promises can be fulfilled and, and your project can be completed and you can rebuild the temple and you can bring out of the ruin restoration and worship and revival. Hallelujah. And so God raised up two young men in bondage. One of them was by the name of Joshua, which means Savior, Redeemer. And he was in the lineage of the high priest. And the other was a young man by the name of Zerubbabel, who was in the lineage of David, the kingly lineage. And God gives them a vision and a call and a passion. And their desire is to, to hear the decree of Cyrus and to take the provisions and go back into Jerusalem on the top of Mount Zion in the midst of all that ruffle and ruin and, and rebuild the temple of God and offer up sacrificial offerings to God and restore worship to the kingdom. And they're filled with a passion and a vision. <laughs> but they couldn't get very many people excited about that. Because the majority of the people had been in Babylon now almost 50 some years. And a generation had passed. And they are shopkeepers. And business owners. And merchants in Babylon. And their pockets are filled with gold Babylonian coins. And they are doing quite well in bondage, thank you. And they are in their own comfort zone. And they have become, rather than aliens in a foreign culture, they have been conformed to culture. And they don't want to leave. And finally, Joshua and Zerubbabel are able to find 49,697. 42,360 common people. 7,337 servants and 200 singers. And you know who they were? The very young. Who could not trace their lineage and heritage in the reports of the scribes about heritage and inheritance. And they were the very old who had seen with their own eyes the glory of Solomon's temple. With their own eyes they had watched the glory of God revealed in that place. They had worshipped the Lord in that Old Testament tabernacle and temple of Solomon. So it was the very young that had no inheritance in the land and the very old who had seen the former glory of what God had done for the nation. And there was a bunch of Levites that were not ordained. Well, it says they weren't registered. <laughs> and they came with one purpose, to restore so that the promises of God would be fulfilled. So that the project would be finished. And when they get to Jerusalem, they find nothing but ruin and rubble on the top of Mount Zion. But they have a desire to work. And immediately, they clear the top of the mountain. And the hand of Zerubbabel, with a plumb line, a building instrument in his hands, begins to draw out in that sand on the top of that mountain a foundation. 
And with his own hands, he begins to take brick after brick and stone after stone and begins to rebuild the foundation of a rebuilt temple where the sacrificial offerings can be offered and worship can be restored and the glory of God will come back to the nation. His hand lays the foundation. And Joshua, he lets them celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And for the first time in almost 70 years, a sacrifice is offered unto God. You you know what it was? It was the whole burnt offering, which symbolic that we are totally committed to God as a nation. We're totally His. But there was a problem. Because you see, Joshua couldn't lead in the Passover because he didn't have the garments of the high priest. He's still wearing the same garments that he had in Babylonian captivity. The Bible says that they were streaked with excrement and the filth and the bondage of his captivity. He's not robed properly like a high priest. And he can offer only offer that one sacrifice. And then for the next 16 years, there's no more sacrifices. And all Zerubbabel can do is lay the foundation of the project that God wants completed in the restoration of the temple and the worship of God. But after he gets the foundation laid, the people decide they need to build their own houses. And they turn away from the project of God. And they go to build their own houses, their own sealed buildings. And for the next 16 years, not one stone is laid upon that foundation. The only two people on the top of Mount Zion are Joshua. And Zerubbabel, Joshua can't do anything because he's not clothed right. And Zerubbabel can't do anything by himself. And he has no resources. He has no silver and no gold. And he has no people to help him. And it looks like all the promises and the prophecies of God are going to be unfulfilled. And the project is never going to be finished because the devil attacks them. And you know how he attacks them? Without. Their enemies without. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arabian. The nations that had inhabited the land while Israel or Jerusalem was and Judah was in captivity. And now they come against them. And they resist their efforts to rebuild the temple. And they not only physically try to stop the work, but they attack them spiritually and send letters to the king and say, these people are trying to rebel against you. It was a lie. Well, isn't that... The always the devil does that. And not only that, they just didn't have enemies without. Had enemies within. You know what they were? They were whiners. Murmurers. Complainers. People who stab you in the back. Okay, okay come. <laughs> and, and, and you know what the Bible said? When the old people saw the foundation, they started whining. They started crying. They said, look at it. It's just this little bitty. We saw the glory and the opulence and the wealth and the beauty of Solomon's temple. And this is just this little small despise. It's never going to be as good as it used to be. I am so sick of that in our churches. 
would you please quit telling me of the way it used to be? I was there, thank you, I'm 70 years old. I know the way it used to be, and I know how we used to pray, and I know how we used to sing, and I know how we used to preach, and I know how we used to shout, and God's the same yesterday and today and forever, and if anybody's changed, you have. Cried over it. And at the same time they're crying, the young people that came had never seen anything about Solomon's temple and they were just excited and filled with passion that the project's going to be fulfilled. And while the old people's crying, the young people are shouting. Oh, hallelujah. So the Bible said you couldn't tell the difference between the whining and the crying and the shouting. And the result was the attack of the devil stopped it for 16 years. No sacrifices, no worship. No brick on the foundation. Sixteen years. And then God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm trying. And then God. And then God. Because when He speaks it, it's going to come to pass. And when He says it, you can write it down. It's going to happen. <laughs> and God took the initiative. And he raised up an old Pentecostal prophet by the name of Haggai. Can't hardly say it. And he was 86 years old when he gave his first. I guess God got him out of a Pentecostal nursing home somewhere. (laughs) Filled him with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to prophesy. And you know what he says to that generation? He says, I want you to know who God is. Because God is sovereign. He is the Lord of hosts. He is Jehovah Zebul. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the captain of heaven's armies. Nothing has ever made him any less than what he is. He is God Almighty. He is sovereign. And our sovereign God is a shaker. And he's going to shake everything. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth and the dry land. And he's going to shake loose resources. And he's going to shake loose people and bring them out of bondage and captivity. Because he's not only a shaker, he is a strengthener. And he's never left us. And what he made a covenant with is Egypt, he's still the same. And his spirit still remains among us to give us the strength that we need. And he's not only a strengthener, but he's a supplier. He's going to bring servants out of Babylon and the silver and the gold belongs to God. All the cattle on a thousand hills and the old Pentecostal preachers used to say all the taters under the hill. Everything belongs to God. And He is the supplier that's going to bring the people and the resources we need to fulfill the promises and to finish the project. And He said God's going to give you success. The glory of this... The glory of this latter house will be even greater than the glory or the former house. You despise this small thing? How many of you saw the glory of the past? He said, I got news for you. You haven't seen anything yet. You may think this is small and insignificant, but the glory of this latter is going to be greater than any of the glory of the former. Because all that Solomon had was wealth and gold and opulence. But you know, when they get this temple built, what's going to happen? The Son of God, Jesus, is going to come into this temple. Oh, hallelujah. And God's going to give success. And then he said, God's going to give peace. And, and you know what happened? That stirred up the spirit of a young prophet by the name of Zechariah. 
And in one January night, he had eight visions. Guess he had too much Papa John's pizza or something. But on one January night, he had eight visions in one night. And the first vision that he sees is about, the, about Jerusalem. And he said, I got news for you people. God's coming to Jerusalem. God's riding into Jerusalem. And what you think is ruin and destruction, God's going to bring increase and restoration. And he said, I'll tell you who God's going to be. We don't have any natural walls to protect us from the enemy. So when God gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be a wall of fire around about Jerusalem because God says you're the apple of his eye. Whoever touches you touches the apple. If you ever get a hold of that truth, that you are the sons and the daughters of God, that you are heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, oh, that all the blessings of God are yea and amen in him. He's come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. If somebody's trying to touch your life, they're touching the apple of God's eye. And he said, not only is God coming to Jerusalem, but God's going to Babylon. And he's going to shake loose all those that are in their comfort zone. And he's going to break the bonds of their captivity. And he's going to bring them out of Babylon. And when they come, they're going to bring the resources that they got in Babylon. And there's going to be enough silver and enough gold to finish the project. Because God is at work in the midst of his people. And the redeemed of the Lord shall return. And come with singing undesigned. And everlasting glory shall be upon their head. And they shall rejoice. And their sorrow and the mourning of the past life will pass away. And then he gives him the third vision. And in the third vision, and this is where I want you to see, is that he says, and I saw Joshua, the high priest. And Joshua was on the top of Mount Zion. And he's standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord has come for a purpose. The angel of the Lord is going to purge his iniquity and take away his sinfulness. And the angel of the Lord has come to strip off the garments of his bondage and his captivity and to robe him with the garments of the high priest. Because when Joshua has on the garments of the high priest, when the mitre of the high priest is upon his head, then the promises will be fulfilled and worship will be restored. And that's what God came to do. And the Bible said, and Satan was standing at Joshua's right hand to resist him, to accuse him, to lie on him, to slander him. And you know what the devil said? You a restorer you the instrument of God you bring the glory of God and the Shekinah and renewed sacrifices to my you look at you you've been out of captivity for 16 years and you haven't made one change you're wearing the same filthy garments that you had on 16 years ago. The Bible literally says they were streaked with filth and excrement. Filthy. Repulsive. And the devil is saying, look at you. Look at your life. Look at how you live. Look at what you did. 
Look at all the past problems that you've had in your life. Look at all the past sins that you've committed. There is no way that the promises of God can ever be fulfilled through you. You're a mess. Oh, okay. I'm the only one the devil ever talks to like that. You? Do you remember what you did two weeks ago? You remember how you failed me a month ago? You remember how you're inadequate for this moment? You don't have the resources. Uh, the demand is greater than the resources. You don't have the silver and gold. You don't have the training. You don't have the ordination. You don't have the ability. You can't do it. And besides that, you haven't changed. You're still watering around in the filth of captivity. Oh, There's no way God can possibly use you. Look at you. Just about the time God gets ready to fulfill His promise in your life, you come under the direct attack of the devil and he starts talking to you. And he starts telling you that you're unworthy. That you're never going to fulfill it. That you're not capable. That the demand is greater than any silver and gold that you have. And besides that, you've got that nasty past life. And that hidden sin. And those garments that are putrid. And there's no way the devil, that's, that God can use you. And so we meekly fold our tent. And we sat in the rubble of an unfulfilled promise for 16 years. And he brings condemnation and accusation and intimidation and fear. And the fear of what we used to be keeps us immobilized. And we're like the disciples on the seashore. The boat is anchored in the shallows. There's no fish in the shallows. The fish are out in the deep. But because of their failure, they are anchored in the shallows. They're anchored in a... You know what they're doing? They're washing their nets. Why? They had not caught anything. And we spend all of our time inside the full walls of the church washing our nets because we're afraid to launch out in the deep because of the accusations of the devil. We're immobilized. And you know what they're doing? They're going through the motions. But there's no heart. There's no passion. And we do it every Sunday. We come into the oh we come into the same services and we sing the same songs and we preach the same sermons and we pray the same prayers and we share the same testimonies but there's no heart there's no passion why well, us old people like those old songs in the red back book we don't have to put them up there. We sang them for so many times over and over and over. They're ingrained in our... We know every word. 
Oh, yeah. Don't look at me like that. I got no, you could stand up right now and give a page out of that red back hymnal and my wife could tell you from the page number what the song is. <laughs> and we're caught up in the shallows. We wash the nets not to stay anchored but to launch the boat out in the deep so the promises of God can be fulfilled and the projects of God can be finished and the lost can be saved. And it's because the devil's standing there saying, you Bishop? (laughs) You Debbie? You're a woman. You're the wrong gender. And and he walks over and says, you're the wrong Color. You're the wrong nationality. God can't can't use you. You don't have the training. You're not registered in the book. And besides that, your garments are streaked and and, and stenchy. But about that time, God breaks in. And he turned and looked at Satan. And he said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord that restores Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? You know what God said? He said, Satan, I got news for you. I know where I got Joshua. He is a stick that I pulled out of the fires of Babylonian captivity. And if he's burned around the edges, it's okay with me. Because I know where I got him, and I'm about to change him. And that promise that was unfulfilled is going to be completed. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I got news for you. Your past is canceled. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your sins as far as the east is from the west. God never remembers them against you again. You're a brand that's been plucked from the fire. And it's all right. I've got some burned edges. But you know what the angel said? Devil, I want to tell you something. None of the accusations of the devil has ever changed God's mind about Joshua. And I've come with <laughs> I've come with a simple message for you right now. None of the accusations of the devil has ever changed God's mind about you. He knows where he got you. He called you from captivity. He's knocked the fire of captivity off of your life. And he's going to use you. And about that time, the angel starts stripping off the old garments. And he's putting on the robe. And he's putting on the vest. And, he, and he's putting on the breastplate. And Zechariah gets so excited, he becomes part of his own prophecy. And the Bible said, he gets right up in the middle of his bed. And he said, Lord, put the mitre on his head. Put the hat on him. Because Zechariah knows when the mitre is on his head, it says holiness unto the Lord. And when the mitre is in place, the promises are fulfilled and worship is restored. And God has won the victory. And somebody said, Brother Bob, why did Joshua wait? Why did God wait 16 years to tell Joshua? And the Lord said, God didn't wait 16 years to tell him. Joshua waited 16 years to hear him. 
And what what I want you to hear tonight is none of the accusations of the devil can ever deter you from the promise of God and the prophecy of your life and the vision and the passing, the passion of your soul. God's going to strip off the old and put on the new garments and those promises are going to be fulfilled and worship's going to be restored. And quickly. And then the Lord speaks to Zechariah and says, I want you to go find Zerubbabel. Where am I going to find it? Well, he's, he's up on the top of that mountain. He's come out there every morning for 16 years. And there's nobody out there but him. And his hand laid the foundation of that building. And now no stones have been placed on it for 16 years. And the project's never going to be finished. Because the opposition, the attack of the devil is too great. And there's not enough silver and gold. And there's not enough people. And everybody else is, is distracted by their own private life. He's alone out there. Go find him. And when you get there, I want you to give him a word. (laughs) Buddy, when you've been walking in the rubble for 16 years, you need a word. You need a word from God. (laughs) And and Zechariah goes out there and says, Zerubbabel, the Lord says unto you, it's not by might and it's not by power. But it's by my spirit, saith the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah's above. Your hand hath laid the foundation of this building, and your hand's going to complete it. Who art thou, O great mountain of rubble? In the face of Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he's going to bring forth the capstone, the headstone, the completed project, by shouting, Grace, grace be unto it. Hallelujah. Got a word from God. And you know what he said? It's not by ingenuity, ability, or technology. It is not by armament, nor sword, nor spear, nor chariot, nor army. It's not what you can do, Zerubbabel. It's not your might and your ability because for 16 years you haven't got it done. But I want to tell you who's going to do it. It's by my spirit, saith the sovereign God. What you cannot do, the Holy Spirit will do. I I think he was shouting. And and then Zechariah looks at him and says, Why aren't you going to do it? And Zerubbabel says, Do it. Do what? Well, what the Lord told you to do. Most of the time we're so excited about getting a word, we don't even remember what it says. (laughs) Well, what did he say? Well, Zerubbabel said, I like this part, not by might, not by power. I haven't been able to do it for 16 years. By my spirit, saith the sovereign God. I like that part. My hand's going to finish it. They're going to see the plumb line in my hand. The people are going to rejoice. The mountains are going to become plains. And you're going to bring forth the capstone by crying, grace, grace be unto it. And Zechariah says, well, you going to do it? Rebel says, do what? He said, the only way the project and the obstacles will be removed and the project will be finished is that you've got to speak to that capstone. Uh, God, you're, you're telling me to talk to this rock? You're wanting me to say something to a stone? No. 
I don't want you to speak to it. I want you to cry out. I want you to shout to it. And now, Zerubbabel is glad that there's nobody on top of the mountain. But he, he's like us. You, you, you make, this guy's not Superman and Batman and Robin. He's you. You, you know how I think? I think he thought. And he goes over to the largest pile of rubble and there's this cap, you know, the capstone. When that's in place, the work's finished. It, the, the project's fulfilled. And he looks down at that stone and he says, uh, Grace, Grace Stone. <laughs> and Zachariah says, uh-uh. He didn't say speak to it. The word in the Hebrew is to cry like a crow. It literally means to caw. To cry from the depth of To shout. And then it dawns on Zechariah. I've tried to remove these obstacles. For 16 years I've struggled. For 16 years I've had no help. For 16 years, I have no resources. For 16 years, I have no people. For 16 years, I haven't made a dent on the fulfillment of the project. What do I have to lose? And he goes over and he says, Stone, grace, grace be unto you. And that felt so good that he comes back and says, Stone, Grace, grace be unto you. Do you know what grace, grace means in the Hebrew? The first things it means is it is beautiful or you are beautiful. It's a stone. It's in the largest mountain of rubble you've ever laid your eyes on. It's not in its proper position. The project is not fulfilled. It's anything but beautiful. But you know what the Lord's telling him to do? To call those things that be not as though they are. And what he's shouting is, Lord, when God gets through with you, Stone, when God does his work, you're going to be beautiful. Oh, Hallie, you, you know the second thing that it means? God bless you, Stone. And the word bless there means God make you teleos, complete, full, all together. And so he's saying, God's going to do a beautiful work. God's spirit of grace is going to be released. And that old ugly stone is going to become a thing of beauty. And God's going to complete it and bless it and make it whole. And what I can't do, God's spirit of grace is going to do. And so the next day, Zerubbabel's out there by himself saying, God bless you, stone. Grace, grace be unto you. You're beautiful. And all of a sudden, out behind the stone in the rubble comes these two Hebrew men. And they said, you, you know, you know, Zerubbabel, we were down taking care of our own house like we've been doing for 16 years, growing our own garden. And all of a sudden, something began to happen in our spirit. And, and, and we just felt strangely compelled that we could come up here to the top of the mountain of the project that we started with such passion and such vision from God. And is there anything that we can do to help you? And Zerubbabel said, yes, sir. Grab my hand. And now there's three of them up there. 
And every day they're out there early in the morning and they're saying, God bless you, Stone. You're beautiful. Grace, grace be unto you. And the next day, three more jump out and say we were taking care of our own situation and the Holy Spirit of God began to move upon us and we felt like we ought to come up here and volunteer our assistance. Can we do anything? Now there's six of them over there. And they're huddled around that stone. And they're shouting, grace, 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 grace be unto you. And the next day there's 12 and then there's 24 and 48. And in the space of four years, what they couldn't do in 16, God did in four. And He brings people out of captivity. And they bring the silver and the gold and the desired things. And in the space of 14 years, that old ugly stone is in place. And the temple of God is rebuilt. And the project is completed. And the glory of that latter house is greater than the former. And though the devil's come to attack you, I've got two messages. The promises are yea and amen. And he's going to fulfill them through you. And nothing the devil can attack you with can make you less than what God knows you to be and what God's called you to do. And the second thing is there is no obstacle or lack of resources or or, or, or rebellion or people or anything that can keep the project of God from being fulfilled. Because I've learned something. God's grace is a sufficient grace. And God's grace is a supplying grace. And God's grace is a strengthening grace. And when I get enough courage to start shouting to my obstacles, when I start saying, grace, grace be unto you, you're beautiful. I know you're not completed yet, but when God gets through with you, you're going to be beautiful. God's going to make you whole. God's going to complete the work. What I can't do, God is releasing a spirit of grace. And God's released spirit of grace is going to bring it to completion. So you got to stand right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because I believe... I believe there's some people here that the devil's been standing at your right hand accusing you and laughing at you and mocking you. But I want you to hear God. I know where I got you from. I pulled you out of the fires of captivity. I know you're burning around the edges. It's okay. Because God's going to change your garments. God's going to put the miter. <laughs> and God's going to use you in fulfilling His promises. And then there's some others. There's been opposition in your family, opposition in your finances, opposition in your church, opposition in the community. And it looks like in spite of everything you've tried for 16 years, the devil's saying, Demands greater than your resources. It ain't ever going to be done. But the Lord says something. If you'll start shouting to that family. If you'll start shouting to that finance. If you'll start shouting to that sickness. If you start shouting to those deacons. If you start shouting to that opposition in your community. 
And everything that the enemy has come against you, if you'll start saying, grace, grace be unto you. You're beautiful because God's going to bring you to completion. God's going to finish the project. And when God's grace gets through with you, it's going to be a beautiful place to worship God. Anybody, anybody have felt the attack of the devil? And he's been telling you that God can't use you? I got news for you. He's about to fulfill your promises. And you need your garments changed. You need the mitre on your head. Then I want you to step out, Brother Bob. I've got some unfulfilled promises and the enemy has been resisting me. And I want him to change those garments and to bring those promises to fulfillment. I want you to come right now and stand. Quick. Hallelujah. And then there's some of you here that you've been struggling for 16 years. And all you've ever seen is ruin and rubble. But I got a word for you. Your hand hath laid the foundation of that building. And your hand is going to finish it. The mountain is going to become a plain. And you're going to bring forth the completion by shouting, God, release your grace. Not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of a released grace of God. Lord, you bring to pass what I can't do. Grace, grace be unto you. I, I want you to come in real close. Come on, we got to have some room. Come on, come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Now, now, the first thing, the first thing is that you are standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord. And that's not Bob. His angels are already here because they're sent as ministering spirits to minister to those who be the heir of salvation. You think you've got lots of space, but the angel of the Lord is encamped around about you. And the angel of God is in charge over you. And the angels come to do something. He's going to take off those old garments. He's going to purge away that iniquity. And he's going to clothe you with the garment of praise. Hallelujah. He's going to clothe you <laughs> with the mitre of worship and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, right now. Oh, hallelujah. Right now, Holy Spirit, strip off the old. Strip off the failure. Strip off the depression. Strip off the doubt. Strip, strip off the whining and the complaining. Strip off the disobedience. Strip off everything that would hinder the move of God and clothe us upon with the garments of salvation with joy and praise and love and rejoicing and put the mitre of worship on our head oh hallelujah put the mitre on our head oh God put the mitre on their head oh God holiness under the Lord put the mitre on their head Glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. Would you, just, would you just reach your hand out and put it on somebody's back or their shoulder right quick and say, Lord, put the mitre on their head. Lord, put the mitre on their head. Lord, finish the work. Fulfill the promise. Put the mitre on their head. Robe them with the garments of righteousness and praise and rejoicing. Put the matter on their head.
Oh, hallelujah. Oh, no accusation of the devil can ever change God's mind about you. He got you out of the fire. It's all right if you got burnt edges. He's reclothing you with the garments of righteousness and praise and worship. Former things are gone. All things are new. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, but now that the promise is fulfilled, we got to get the project finished. And it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. And if God releases a spirit of grace, that grace is sufficient. That grace will supply. That grace will bring to completion. But it can't happen until you get brave enough to talk to it. No, no, no. Not talk to it. Shout to it. And you got to start saying, Grace, grace be unto you. God bless you, Rock. You're beautiful. Now, now you got to do it like this. You got to get that one obstacle. Not a whole bunch right now. But that one situation in your family, in your finance, in your church, in your community. Whatever that obstacle has been, whatever those from without have tried to do in persecution, whatever those from within have been whining and complaining about and for 16 years kept you from fulfilling what God called you to do and what God wants that church to be, you got to get that one thing in your mind right now. And then we're not going to talk to it. We're going to shout to it. And we're going to say, Grace, grace be unto you. And you're going to name it. Oh, come on. Don't you sit down on me. You, you got to name it. It was that capstone. Grace, grace be unto you, capstone. Well, you know what it is. And in a minute, we're going to start shouting. And as we start shouting, it's not by your might. And it's not by my ability. And it's not by anybody's army. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. I'm going to start releasing a grace into that family. I'm going to release a grace in that finance. I'm going to release a grace in that sickness. I'm going to release a grace in that opposition. And when I get through with it, the project will be fulfilled. The capstone will be beautiful. And it will be brought to complete because God's releasing His grace. You got it? You got it? Raise your hand if you got it. You know what? Amen. All right, you ready with me? We're, we're going to do it. You ready? Grace, grace be unto you. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Glory. Okay, now some of you are over your embarrassment. And you didn't feel it, but I felt it. There was a shaking out there in that rubble pile. There was a movement out there in that pile of rocks. And that old stone that's been in, in that rubble for 16 years, God said, I'm going to shake it. I'm going to start moving it. And I'm going to bring it out of the rubble pile, and I'm going to bless it and complete it. Now you got it to shake, and now we got to get it moved. So this time we're going to do it again. 
And we're going to believe something. When we start shouting grace, grace, God's Spirit's going to be released upon that old stone. And it's not only going to be shaken, it's going to be moved. And in the space of God's time, it's going to be brought to completion. You believe it? Then let's do it. You ready? Grace, grace be unto you. Grace, grace be unto you. Grace, grace stone. Grace, grace sickness. Grace, grace family. Grace, grace. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Fulfilled. Finished. Beautiful. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory. I, I, I just felt some sicknesses being shaken loose. I've, I've, I've felt some, some discouragement being shaken loose. I, I just felt some depression being lifted. I felt some families that are going to be shaken by the power of God's grace and brought to salvation and deliverance. I just felt some churches beginning to move. Glory to God. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. Oh. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Uh, okay. Okay. You believe it? You believe God finishes His promises and His project? Then, then what I need you to do is put in practice right now. And, and I need you to start walking back through these people back here. Because some of them have sicknesses. And some of them have problems. And some of them have family situations. And some of them have obstacles. And you need to start walking back through the congregation and pick somebody out. And just... This way you're going to pray. You're just going to put your hand on their shoulder and look them right in the eye and say, Grace, <laughs> grace, grace be unto you. Holy Spirit, release grace in their life. Oh, uh, hey, you got to get out of the shallows and doing the same things and washing your nets. And if you can't do it in here, you ain't never going to do it out there. And so we start right here. Amen. Right now, turn around. God's blessed you. Amen. Go pick somebody out, put your hand on the shoulder, and start shouting grace, grace over their life. Start shouting grace, grace over their life. Releasing a spirit of grace in their life. Glory to God. God's going to bless you. God's going to do it. God's going to make it beautiful. Grace, grace, grace.